Hello, and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and we're here today on-premises with a great group of networking professionals, and we are going to have a topic that we want to discuss with you. I'm going to take just a moment for them to introduce themselves, and then we'll come back with the premise of today's episode. Hi, I'm Rita Younger. Follow me on Twitter at SDN underscore girl. Hi, I'm Kevin Myers. I'm uh, at Stubberia51 uh, on Twitter. I'm uh, co-founder of IP Architects, which is a white box uh, consulting firm. Hi, I'm Jody Lemoyne, independent consultant, owner of Tishco Networks. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @ghostinthenet. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedules to be a part of this podcast. So here's the premise for today's discussion. Network analytics is too expensive for most enterprises. I think we've seen over the course of the growth of software-defined networking that a lot of things that in the network that were unknowns before are now knowns. But in order to get that information back out of the network, you have to spend a lot of money in specialized hardware, in software, in talent in order to be able to program those things. And that's beyond the reach of most enterprises. Now, I throw that premise out to the panel to discuss. Rita, you're shaking your head very violently. I think you've got some thoughts on this. Why don't you go ahead and start? Exactly. I think you've got it all wrong. You cannot not afford to have network analytics. That's a lot of double negatives. So why don't we unpack that? It is. Um, Think about the cost. So when it comes to network analytics, there's two major use cases. One is around application dependency mapping. Okay. The second is around security. Think about the cost of a breach. We all see the headlines, right? We know that these breaches take place, and what do they cost? They cost reputation of the company, mm-hmm. they may cost in stock prices, and they cost in the cleaning up. So you've had a breach and you need to clean up. You need that visibility into your network. If you think about the data center, the only part of the data center that has visibility into all the traffic is the network. So network analytics, while it's kind of a newer practice, is absolutely critical for all businesses. So let me posit this. Ignorance is bliss. If I don't know about those things, I don't have to worry about them because I don't see them, especially from a security perspective, because when I get breached, because we all know that it's going to happen, I can claim, well, there's no way I could have possibly seen this because I didn't have the stuff in place to make that happen. Do you agree with that? I have lots of customers who are doing network analytics. And the first thing that they say as soon as they hook up, whether it's Tetration or Verney or Big Switch, whatever they're using for their network analytics, the first thing they say is, oh, wow. I had no idea there's an advanced persistent threat that was taking place, and they had no idea. So network analytics is going to be able to show the outliers, the traffic patterns that should not exist. You know, just a, a silly example is you've got traffic that's coming into a public-facing web server and the very next place it goes is your HR server. Hello, why is that taking place like that? So odds are that is some sort of advanced persistent threat that is taking information that it shouldn't be. So I I get the security argument. Security makes a whole lot of sense for being able to have visibility. But what about all that other data? Because a lot of the analytics platforms are not necessarily built around the idea of security. They're built around the idea of network visibility. And Jody and I were talking about this outside of the, the hallway most network administrators don't care. Jody, do you want to expand on that topic just a little bit? Because I think you had some great thoughts on it. Well, the key, the key point I'm going to make in the argument is most enterprises. 
Like if you look at Cisco's Tetration as an example, before they started doing Tetration as a service, your smallest installation was an 8U rack. Now, most enterprises don't have a data center. Most enterprises buy something in the cloud. Your enterprises that have dedicated data center are your top 5%. Now, admittedly, that's where most of the market focuses, and they're the ones who have the kind of data streams and the kind of complexities in their network where, yeah, maybe they need network analytics. But your other 95% way down below that don't consume this one, they're more concerned with whether the network's up or not. I, I would beg to differ with you. Most companies I deal with have data centers. And one of the things that we're trying to do is encourage them to build their own public cloud on-prem, right? Mm -hmm. Or public cloud-like experience on-prem, let's put it that way. So they're on private mm -hmm. cloud. So they're getting all the goodness that they would get out of a public cloud provider, but they're maintaining control of their own data center, maintaining the cost, uh, and they have control. And, and you're so, not wrong in, in that at all, but I would posit mm -hmm. that those are not most enterprises. That's a small percentage of enterprises. Kevin? What, I think what I would say, my question would be expensive as compared to what? So I think back like maybe three or four years ago um, when I was an enterprise team lead for a Fortune 500, and we would often get these challenges. Why is this application failing? Why is this not working? And so what would happen is, you know, we would have like an Ixia or a Nui, and we'd be breaking out to something like a Gigamon, and we'd have to bring in a specialized team from uh, usually like whoever was the MPLS provider had a team of network performance analysts, and they would come in and say, and they would look at all these detailed captures and say, here's why this is failing, but it was a very manual process. It required a specialized network engineer and network analyst to understand, that understood application architecture and understood the network to glue all that together. Now you have frameworks that help you you don't have to have that person. You have a framework like, you know, I'm not familiar with Tetration. We've seen, you know, things from Big Switch like Bigmon. And so a lot of those tools are made now for a network engineer that is not necessarily a network performance expert and can understand that. So I think you're going to spend the money one way or the other because you're going to have the problem. So let's, let's examine that topic for just a minute because I think you hit on something that's kind of important. In the old days, network analytics really was, was reading tea leaves. You had to be very, very good at what you did and you had to understand all the nuances. Why this SNMP trap firing at this time was different. How to get NetFlow records out of a router, which I do believe involves a voodoo doll. And so yeah. now network analytics is easy to do because everybody gives you that framework. But at the same time, when we look across IT, we're busting silos left and right. The storage team is working with the virtualization team, the security team's integrated into the network team. And what you've got is a whole bunch of people who are kind of doing a bunch of different jobs and so their exposure to the amount of analytics that they're getting is enormous. I mean, when you look at the things that you can do with it, not just you know reporting on advanced persistent threats, but doing predictive failure analysis. The laser is about to go out in that SFP because I know that it, based on the heat ranges that I'm seeing, it's going to go out. So that makes my job easier. But now it's more data that I have to pay attention to. So what happens when the amount of data that you're getting out of your analytics platform is swamping your ability to actually do your job? Is that something that can cause expenses to rise because now I'm not getting as much work done because I'm too busy paying attention to the dashboards? One of the great things about all the network analytics platforms is the ability to integrate them with other products. For mm -hmm. instance, like ServiceNow integrating with Tetration. So, you know, one caution about network analytics is it can become shelfware mm -hmm. because people are too busy to pay attention to it. But let's really think about how it can integrate with other products 
so that we do have kind of that single pane of class, which, you know, is the unicorn, right? We overused buzz, buzzword. Um, but so that we can get very useful information out of it. Um, that's one of the biggest things when I'm presenting a network analytics platform to a customer is making sure that they understand the use cases and that they understand what can be done with the platform, what it can integrate with. Um, because, you know, I mean, we've seen some products over the years. Cisco Mars comes to mind. <laughs> it became shelfware, right? Yeah. But when I think about the new analytics platforms, I still go back to, you know, 10, 15 years ago with Cisco Mars. And it always makes me kind of caution, yes, this is amazing stuff. But let's make the most out of it. So you've got a problem there, though. You say that the integration with other platforms is what makes it very valuable because now I can pull those analytics into other things that I tend to monitor, like ServiceNow is a mm -hmm. perfectly good example. Yeah. But to me, that says in order to make these analytics useful, I have to go buy another package. It's not just collection, it's reporting. Jody, you work with a bunch of small enterprises. Let's throw ServiceNow out of the equation because there's a lot of places that will never be able to afford it. But if you try to go in and tell somebody about analytics and say, oh, by the way, you're going to need to pay $150 extra a month in order to use the service to digest those analytics, is that something that the people you work with will be willing to sign off on? There might be some that would. But ultimately, the big benefit of network analytics, as you say, is your security, your predictive analysis, your, your overall view. It's an insurance policy. So the question is, if I'm buying insurance, what am I getting for that insurance payment? Well, if it's life insurance, it doesn't do much unless I die. And for the small business, if they're paying that extra 150 a month, they're going to say, okay, how is this 150 a month saving me 150 a month or making me 150 a month? And for the really large enterprises, the ones that have their own data centers, the ones that are worried about persistent threats on a large scale, those guys, it's an easy sell. You can say, this is what you're getting out of it. But for the small guys for whom data centers is a, is, is a consumable rather than something that they manage, and really they don't have a whole lot of data flying around, and the impact of their network, uh, their network problems is minimal, they're going to look at that and go, it's not worth my money. Well, I think you hit on a key point there is that you know, and what you're dealing with, you're dealing with mostly larger companies and data center architectures and things like that. And, you know, I do a lot of the same work as an independent that you do where we're dealing with small and medium enterprise. And I think the key is the tools that are on the market exist solely really for large enterprise. There is a gap in if I am a small, medium enterprise and I have an infrastructure that is not tens of thousands of switches, network analytics for that market is kind of a gap. So I think because trying to pay and consume for that and like you said, justify the cost, especially if you have minimal infrastructure that you're dealing with and you don't have data centers, maybe you have a few racks in a colo or something like that, is a struggle to justify the cost. So I totally, I, I, I see both sides of it and I think that's where, I think it's just a gap in the market for SME. 90% of them, they say 90% of the money it goes to the top 5% of the companies. 90% of the spending is made by the top 5%. We talk Fortune 500. Well, there's a whole lot more than 500 companies. Mm -hmm. um, but that means that these kind of models, titration, that sort of thing, those go to that market because that's the market that needs it and they're the money, they're the money spenders. The other 90%, they're not spending that money. So let's, let's turn this conversation on its head just a little bit because we started off by saying network analytics is too expensive. But one of the things that we know 
for a fact is that there are a lot of people out there that are making open source projects to do this. I can remember using you know, uh, MRTG and Cacti when I worked with schools because, hey, they're cheap. Well, it's the reason why I'm bald, because I pulled all my hair out trying to get them all working properly. But when they did work, it was amazing. So there are probably people who are listening to this podcast right now that say, well, I don't necessarily care about buying Tetration or buying Big Cloud Fabric or anything like that, because I'll just go download something that somebody hacked together and I'll make it work for my enterprise. But we all know that there's an expense that's involved with that. It's not money, it's time. Do you feel that the trade-off for having an engineer dedicated to doing an open source implementation for a small enterprise is an acceptable trade-off, time versus money, to make analytics make sense? And you're shaking your head already. Nope. Why? No, the, the vendors who provide these analytics products, mm -hmm. right, they make them easy to use, they make them friendly. If you consider the cost of an engineer working on an open source project, that is gonna cost way more than just purchasing a platform. And now we have as a service options, right? So it's subscription based upon workload. Um, but you know what, you didn't mention the other use case that I pointed out at first. I mean, there's multiple use cases, but application dependency mapping. I have not met a single customer who has an understanding of their application dependency mapping. Network analytics can provide that. Fair enough. But I still have to have somebody who spends time sorting all of that mess out because as we've talked about on podcasts, application developers and I have a very contentious relationship because I think they're all screaming children that ask for things that they don't need because they don't know how to make their stuff work right. So. Why is it incumbent upon me as a network engineer to spend time on my analytics platform to help somebody else solve their problems? Well, let's look at the numbers and where we're going with software-defined networking. Software-defined networking, the biggest use case for software-defined networking is the security use case. Okay, mm -hmm. I see that with my own customers, financial, banking, retail manufacturing. Those are the earliest adopters of software-defined networking, all have a need for additional security, compliance, things like that. So even though software-defined networking brings all kinds of goodness, that is the number one use case. In order to get to a true whitelist policy model, customers must understand their application dependency mapping. Okay. Nobody understands that. They're, the best tool for figuring that out is going to be network analytics. Fair we see point. source, destination, source, destination, and we can figure that out. Kevin? I'm going to take the, the middle ground on this because I think that I, I, I certainly, we call it the open source cost when I deal with clients because they want to deploy different tools and they say, oh, I can download this. Say, yes, you could, but to Rita's point, there is a cost in engineering that you've got to deal with. What we often find is the middle road is going with commercially supported open source. So it's not that I'm just going to download this and I'm going to go out on my own. You're going to pay maybe you know 10% of what you're going to pay for a full-fledged enterprise project, and you're going to go to somebody and say, this is what I want. Can you make it into this? Can, can you customize it this way? And so for a lot of companies, that's a great way to get exactly what they want, but not burn all that engineering time. So I think I, I'm a huge fan of commercially supported open source. The, it's an interesting hybrid child that a lot of people yeah. don't really think about. Yeah. Well, yeah the funny that's thing a good is point. that the, the open source idea in the first place, uh, you know, going back to people like Stallman, was the idea that the software should be free and the money that should be made is the money that you make supporting and engineering it. And your commercially supported open source is the realization of that idea. Well, it's the, the idea that you're giving, giving back to people. And so the people that you are paying to develop a thing for the rest of the world 
make the world a better place. And it's like that, it's the altruism capital, which unfortunately most of us know doesn't actually exist in the business world. Altruism is a perfectly good example of a way to take advantage of people, unfortunately. And open source often does that. We'll see open source projects that get forked into commercial projects because, hey, the code was cheap and I only had to tweak a couple of things and then I have to put a, a GNU heard um, disclaimer or an you know, a, a open source license disclaimer and suddenly I can do whatever I want with it. And that doesn't feel right to me. That's a whole separate. That's a whole separate discussion. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, we could probably wax intellectual about open source for a long time, but I want to come back to something Rita was talking about with this whole application dependency mapping issue, where where we're using network analytics in a way that it really wasn't designed for. And I I understand and I agree. Yes, analytics is really good at solving these problems because it's one of the only tools that we have in our arsenal that has the ability to do that detection. You could possibly say that before analytics became a huge thing, we had to rely on things like IDS, IPS to kind of figure these things out. And let's face it, if you don't like reading the tea leaves of network analytics, you're communicating with a heathen god if you're going to try to figure out how to use IDS and IPS to do this kind of stuff. But to circle back to that point, is it fair to make that the realm of the networking team, because when you look at the things that we've been doing for years with HSRP, VRRP, GLBP, those systems essentially exist to solve application developers' inability to write good code. <laughs> Layer 2 DCI exists because applications don't know how to re-IP things. Why are we putting this whole thing back on the network team? Why should network analytics be responsible for doing discovery? No one else will do it, and the network is the central position to analyze it from. Problem is these applications are a black box. They're not documented in a lot of cases. Application dependency mapping often is the only way you're going to find out how your network works. Okay, so I don't buy an application that's not properly documented. On, and that goes back to the enterprises in that the large enterprises who do the application development on their own and have their own development teams and that sort of thing that may or may not document things properly, you do your application mapping on that and you know what's going on. Smaller enterprises have a, a very religious standpoint on buy it, don't build it. Mm -hmm. the, the idea of developing their own applications is going to be stopped at the first level of management. It's not going to happen if we can buy it somewhere. If you can buy it somewhere, you can get the tech support to tell you exactly how it works. And you don't need that, that, that analytics. Kevin? Yeah, no, I, I, think that's a, uh, I think that's a great point, exactly what you said, because the small enterprises are consuming all of these, you know, whether it's Office 365 or whatever, whatever it is, because I, I run a small company, we consume, we do have a data center because we're in network engineering, but, you know, we run a handful of things in there, but then everything else I have is cloud-based, and so any of the analytics I'm going to need, I'll, you know, look at AWS or Azure or something like that for for those kinds of things. So I think that's a, you know, a great point, and what, what you know, what I would say, one of the, the going back to something you said about, you know, um, I forget it was you that Reed had said about, um, or Tom, about the engineers being uh, too busy to deal with all of this. And, you know, my response to that would be, you know, at some point you have to deal with it or you're just going to keep dealing with it. At some point you have to, you have to, you know, I think back to, you know, my service provider days where you either dealt with it, you didn't, you'd look at this, and I remember being in the enterprise and dealing with this, and you'd look at this thing and you would say, you know, what is that? We don't need that. Don't worry about that. That's that's not real a real thing. And if you don't deal with that at some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to catch up with you. And so I think you have to... You need the network analytics in the larger shops, not so much in the smaller shops. And I mean, when you look at where we are historically, our servers are getting bigger and bigger. We're talking about containers. We're talking about you know just the capacity we have in our servers. 
right? We really need to be able to provide that micro-segmentation. We really need to be able to understand exactly what's talking to what, even if it's in the same physical server, all the virtual machines. So where we're at historically, I mean, we have agile methodology for application development. This is why network analytics hasn't been so important in the past and is important today, because we need that like true whitelist model. We need the micro-segmentation. We're having smaller physical footprints and more workload, and we need to protect those workloads from each other. Um, and application developers, applications, you know, any app, it's rolling out continuous improvements, right? So just the um, dynamic nature of the environments we live in today requires... Um, well, and the challenge... I was going to say the challenge too is that, you know, and to your point about, you know, is it the responsibility of the network team, typically the security teams and the application teams, you know, just like we don't really get into applications, they don't really have the network background. And so, but the, I think in the networking side, you see so much of this coming through because you are the central junction point. So it kind of defaults to the network team to help the application teams and the security teams understand, you know, this is how you actually get from point A to point B. It's great to have a policy and say, we're going to have a policy for this, we're going to roll this application. But it's often the networking team that's got to glue all that together because they're the only ones that see all the pieces. All right. Well, um, I think we've, we've, we've really unpacked this premise quite a bit. I think the, the answer truthfully is, is that yes, network analytics is expensive. And the question comes down to where do you believe the expense needs to be invested? If you're a small shop, buy it. Maybe I don't need as much full featured as I, as I would like. Maybe renting network analytics as a service is a better solution for me because I can amortize that cost when it validates how much I am getting in return. Whereas in a large enterprise, that's a huge investment but the costs of not doing it when you get security breached or when you get an application misbehaving that can impact thousands of workers is too much for you to ignore. So as always, the IT answer is it depends, but it depends on your ability to do the research and find out the costs behind it because unfortunately in IT, we can't just live in a world where we can buy, buy, buy and hopefully it'll all pay off in the end. So thank you very much for joining us today on the On-Premise IT Roundtable. We appreciate our guests and their time to, uh, to, to, to debate this premise. Uh, for those of you who are watching at home, we appreciate your patronage of this podcast as well. Please make sure to head over to gestaltit.com where you can always find the latest episode of this podcast. You can also catch us in your favorite podcasting application. Um, you can also follow along at our website, uh, gestaltit.com slash podcast or on our YouTube channel where these episodes will always premiere. So for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for the guests that we have here and for the rest of the Gestalt IT team, we thank you very much for your time and we bid you a good day.